Oh, you can have a seat. My name is Nate. Good to be the pastor here at New City. Uh, as was mentioned before, there are a lot of kiddos in the room. We uh, think that that's wonderful and awesome. Uh, in the same way that we say there are no, uh, you know, no perfect people allowed at New City, there are no perfect children allowed either, okay? And so here's the deal about that, all right? Um, uh, once a year, we get all the families together in the service, and it is a cool thing. And I, I think it's awesome uh, to stand next to my kids and to sing worship songs, to uh, value the Word of God and show that value together as a family. Um, one kid uh, last service said, uh, Mom, adult church is boring. Um, so, uh, you know, sorry, I'm not as cool all right, as your kid city workers. They'll be back next week to serve you. There is, though, however, an activity in the service. And so uh, it, all the kiddos received a little bingo card on the way in. Uh, if you're an adult, you'll want to play bingo, too. You can do that. It's sermon bingo. It's kind of interesting. All right, so there'll be like a little icons. You'll be looking for them on the screen. They'll show up uh, just kind of spontaneously uh, throughout the message. Uh, so listen, this is the last Sunday of the decade. We get to bring it in together. This is pretty cool. Start a new decade uh, next week, which is awesome. So what kind of transformation would you like to see in 2020? What, what is that? What's true for you? Uh, what's something you would like to see in your own life? I don't know if you're like the kind of person that thinks about these things. I am the kind of person that thinks about these things. I think about what, it, what I don't want to repeat for 2019, the new thing I want to do in 2020. I'm all into like whatever you know, I can do to better myself in the next year. And so I don't know if you've been giving that any thought or if I distressed you out because you hadn't been giving it any thought. Uh, but I love a good transformation story. I do. I love a good transformation story. I'm a sucker uh, for television stations like HGTV because I love transformation stories. I don't know if you've seen Fixer Upper, that show, um, but it's a show that I have enjoyed to watch from time to time. However, whenever I watch Joanna Gaines decorate a room, I, I usually begin to look at my own house and go, I don't know. We kind of live in a dump, you know, and, and then, you know, it's like after watching two or three episodes of like the Fixer Upper, you think, man, maybe somebody should come and condemn my house because this is not, you know, it's not livable anymore. It's amazing how like sometimes when you watch a transformation story, how uh, that can be almost disheartening at times because you want a transformation story too, and you would like to have your house redone or, you know, uh, done over. I'd certainly love to invite Joanna Gaines to my house to redo my house, you know, and see that kind of transformation. A couple years ago, I came across uh, Marie Kondo, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to, to declutter and to go simplistic, you know? Uh, it turns out that asking, does this spark joy, doesn't spark joy for me. And so, uh, so I just gave up altogether on the Marie Kondo method. I did try one time to fold my underwear uh, the, the way that uh, Marie Kondo recommended, and it happened one time and uh, never to be repeated again. So, uh, but if you've ever watched that on Netflix, it is one of those. House Hunters, though, is like one of those shows that I just, uh, I, I love to hate. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you've ever watched House Hunters, have you ever seen this show? If you've not seen the show, it, it, the opening of the show goes like this. It's usually a story of a couple. They've been married uh, for about five months. They're about 20 years old, just graduated from college. They own a farm, uh, farming uh, butterflies, and they, they're, they're buying their starter home. They only have a budget of $650,000, and nobody can, you know, they're, they're debating about who's going to give up what. She wants a spa bathroom, and he wants an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and there's drama about how they're going to find the $650,000 starter home because they only have $650,000 to spend. And so it's one of those shows that can also breed a little discontentment in life. You know, it's like, how did you, what? This is not okay. All right. So uh, the other day I was on Facebook just kind of flipping through, uh, embracing all of my discontentment about life. And I came across a, a kind of a question one of my buddies posted on Facebook. He said, what is the hardest aspect of leadership? 
uh, what's the hardest aspect of leadership? And a lot of people are commenting, and one uh, from a friend of mine, Scott Einan, he posted on uh, the kind of his idea, and a lot of people were chiming in on it, is the hardest part of leadership is self-leadership. It's, uh, it's leading you. That's the hardest part. And in fact, most of us have come to the place in our life where we, we wanted a transformation uh, of some kind or another. We wanted to get rid of some bad habit. We wanted to start something new. We wanted to do something good with our life. And uh, we, we found that the hardest person to lead is ourselves, uh, that, uh, that we are our biggest obstacles to transformation. Uh, and, and so I'm going to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, all right? So this is, this is not, I'm going to just kind of encourage you a little bit with discouragement, all right? Uh, the recipe for transformed life is pretty simple. It's just simply uh, love and obey Jesus. Like you want to transform life, just love Jesus and obey him, uh, obey his commands. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Just do that, all right? Can you, can you just like, just, uh, just, gonna, just don't sin anymore and live a, a perfect life. Uh, all, <laughs> all you have to do is love one another the way Christ has loved you. It's, it's simple, right? Super easy to do. This commandment I've given to you, love one another as I've loved you. Just love people self-sacrificially the way Jesus has loved you. That's all you have to do to have the transformed life that you want. Now, here's the deal. Uh, most messages on transformation happen just like that. I mean, just somebody just comes to you and says, hey, uh, you stink, try harder. And I want to challenge you to watch out for messages like that, gospel messages like that. They just come up to you and they say, hey, here's the standard, you know, obey Jesus perfectly, love other people the way he's loved you. Uh, you stink at it right now, but just try harder and eventually you'll get there. That's not the gospel. Uh, every time you hear kind of some kind of message or some variation of you stink, try harder, that's not the gospel message. The gospel to me is the simplest, simplest, simplest way to put it would be like this. You can't he did, because he did, you can. Like, if you could live perfectly, and you could perfectly obey Jesus, and he wouldn't have had to come for you. Uh, you, 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 uh, you stink at obeying God, and you are a sinner, and uh, sin is something that is a power in life. If, it's not, if you don't believe that sin is a power in life, just try to stop doing it. it. It is a power in your life that only Christ can overcome. And what he did for you is he lived a life that you could not live, a perfect one. And he died the death that you should have died because the wages of your sin is death. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again. He conquered your sin and death. He gave you the gift of righteousness. That's what he did. And because he did that, you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, at work within you. You see, transformation, the transformation that you need, cannot be had through effort alone. You need help. Now, my big plea for you in this sermon and next week's sermon uh, is, is just that you would be open to a work that is outside of yourself and also inside of yourself. And what I mean by that is a work that's not just simply you, but the work of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Because Jesus gave us a helper. So he did say in John 14, you know, uh, uh, you know if you loved me, you'd obey my commandments. He did say that. But the next, very next verse in verse 16 is, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. This is the Holy Spirit, uh, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and listen, he says, and will be in you, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and now you know, the, the curtain split, all the sort of drama happens, and what happens when Christ uh, raised the dead and ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you, and that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible is clear about that teaching. And you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So in 2020, open yourself to the help you need from the helper who was, give, who was given to you by Jesus to change you from the inside out.
Sometimes I think we seek transformation and we try to do it through effort alone and we can't seem to make it happen through effort alone. But you weren't saved because you were good. You were saved because God was good. And in His goodness, He gave you the Holy Spirit and He saved you through the work of the Holy Spirit and He's going to renew you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens. And so we need to be open to the Holy Spirit's help because transformation does not come easily. See, one of the things that happens when you become a Christian is you get a whole new struggle. You get a brand new struggle. Uh, you don't always recognize that this is going to be the truth. Sometimes I think we think that when we become Christians that everything's going to go smooth. It's going to be smooth sailing. But actually what happens is you get a new disruptor in your life. The disruptor in your life is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Galatians 5 says it this way. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit starts dwelling inside of you. The Holy Spirit now is going to be advocating for loving God and loving the neighbor, bringing you into alignment of obeying Jesus and loving others the way He has loved you. And what's going to happen is that's going to work against the arrogance and the pride and the self-centeredness of your fleshly nature. And you will receive a new conflict, a conflict you didn't have before you were a Christian. And Christians have this conflict inside of them where the Holy Spirit of God is working to bring about transformation. You see, every Christian at times practices a life that is contrary to their beliefs because they have two natures, this fleshly nature that's very self-centered, this Holy Spirit nature that's drawing attention to God and the love of others. In Galatians 5.17, again, he says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And every Christian has had this sort of experience where I'm doing something I don't want to do. In fact, I regret it. I look back on it and go, I don't want to do that. I ought to keep doing that. I have these habits in my life that keep showing up in ways in which I wish they weren't. And there are two sources of desire within every Christian. There's a desire of the flesh and there's the desire of the spirit. And you see that in verse 17. Desires. Desire of the flesh, desires of the spirit. And a lot of Christian discipleship is understanding where the desire is coming from. What's the source of that desire? Is this coming from my flesh? Or is, this, is this inspired by the Holy Spirit of God? So you cannot be a, a Christian, or I'm sorry, you can be a Christian who has a deep understanding and belief in Orthodox Christian theology and still have a, a life that's being lived as a practical atheist. And what I mean by that is, that you, you can just deny the reality that you have two natures. And you can just deny the conflict inside of your life. Grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And you can, you can just not embrace the transformation that God's trying to work within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you ignore the Spirit of God within you, you will live as if the only power available to you is natural. And sometimes the transformation that you need is not a transformation you experience because you're leaning only into natural means and natural ways. In other words, you will live as if the only gospel truth that you are holding on to is try harder. But you did not get saved because you tried harder. You got saved by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does, He works within you to bring about transformation. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And I think sometimes we can read a verse like that and not get the full impact of the text. But the Holy Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. That Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God Himself 
who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you're a Christian, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, he lives in you. There is power available to you that will bring about real transformation that is not a power that's merely a power from the flesh. It's merely the result of working harder. It's a supernatural power. You see, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit's help because transformation doesn't come easily and you can't do it on your own. Like, you need supernatural help. And our desires are deceitful. When you look at Ephesians 4, he says, uh, put off your old self, that's that old sinful self, that fleshly self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupted through, here it is, deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now that desire is deceitful because that desire is wrapped around an idea. The idea is that I need this or that, or I have to have this or that. It's like the idea is that you are somehow in want. And what the flesh does, it works through pride, it works through envy, it works through coveting, it works through discontentment about life. It is not mindful, the flesh, the flesh is not mindful of the fact that you've inherited all that belongs to Christ. The flesh is not mindful that you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, to bringing about uh, the sort of the willing and the acting according to God's good purpose. It, it is not mindful of, of all the, the, the supernatural work of God. It's only thinking about things related to the flesh. And transformation is a result of a daily battle over our desires, really wrestling with those desires. And when you read the text in Galatians 5, you don't immediately catch it. I mean, it's, it doesn't stick out in the English, but it, it, does, it does so if you just kind of, kind of help it a little bit. If you read Galatians 5.17, it reads this way, For the over-desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Uh, in other words, the inordinate desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Different word there for desires. The, the epi-desires, the over-desires. In other words, these desires that go, uh, that borderline with idolatry, actually push you into idolatry. It's kind of desires that say, I have to have this in order to have meaning or significance in my life. Keller says it this way, the over-desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. This is crucial. The main problem our heart has is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desires for good things. Treating good things as if they're ultimate things, in other words, is our big challenge. And desires of the flesh turns good things into ultimate things. Wraps our identities even around the worship and serving of having one thing or another. Uh, David Paulson puts it this way. He says, if idolatry is the characteristic and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, the desires or epi-desires is the characteristic and summary New Testament word for that same drift. In other words, desires is in idolatry. Those are kind of hand-in-hand concepts between Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament merges the concept of idolatry and the concept of inordinate, life-ruling desires for lust, craving, yearning, uh, and greedy demand. See, our, our desires become idolatrous when they create the feeling that we have to have this thing or that thing to feel good about ourselves or to attain some some form of significance. That's when they become idolatrous. And the flesh is always trying to build your identity around an achievement, uh, what you have, what you possess, what you don't possess, what you wish you possessed, what you wish you achieved. It's, it's building this identity around all these kind of fleshly things. You see, the flesh is always drawing your attention to what you don't have. So go back to Galatians 5 again, and he encourages us. He says, if we live by the Spirit, 
Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now he's going to contrast that. What does it look like if we're walking in the flesh then? He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And you see what happens here is that when the flesh is, is, is taken control and the fleshly desires have taken control, what we have are envy, we have coveting, we have pride, we have conceit, we have that kind of sort of conflict. But when the Spirit is speaking, the Spirit's going to speak truth, the Spirit's going to exalt Jesus, the Spirit's going to affirm our adoption as children, in other words, it's going to affirm that we, we are not in want, that we are recipients of God's grace. In John 14, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm sending you my Spirit. In John 16, He fills that bucket with a little bit more truth. You see it here? When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He'll guide you into truth. The Spirit, man, so empowers your Bible study, so empowers your Scripture reading that He, he makes sense of it in supernatural ways for you. He guides you into truth. He glorifies Jesus, always making much of God. He affirms to you that you are adopted child of God, that all that is Christ belongs to you. By the way, what could this world ever give you that Christ hasn't already given you? But the flesh produces deep and consuming FOMO, right? The flesh is constantly giving you this, this fear and anxiety of missing out. And somehow life, life is cheating you. There's more to have of it, and you need to get more of the stuff and feed the flesh. But the Spirit is producing a deep and satisfying gratitude. Saying, look at what you already have in Christ. Look at what God has already given you. At the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. You have, you have, you have you've been adopted by the Father, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is your dad. And you get to call him your dad. And Jesus has rescued you and your sins are paid for. You have nothing left to do to earn. Like your significance has been given to you wholly by Christ. Receive his righteousness. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit's help because transformation doesn't come easily. and We cannot do it on our own. We need a helper. Our desires are deceitful, always trying to wrap our identities around something other than God. And we need help affirming who we really are. We need help affirming that we are not the sum of our mistakes. Uh, read Galatians uh, 5.17 again. He says, the desires of the flesh, they, they have this way of kind of getting you into a place where you're doing things that you don't want to do. And the Apostle Paul says, I totally get, I totally get that. Let's see if you can relate to this statement by the Apostle Paul in Romans 7.15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, who cannot relate to that? Being in a position in life where you're going, I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the bad thing. And I, it, what, what's going on? Apostle Paul says, though I find it to be a law when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I have a battle within me. The Spirit is calling me to a certain way of life and a certain kind of being. But the flesh inside of me is, is waging war against the Spirit. So I've come up with a couple of confessions that have helped me to kind of deal with this battle. One is to confess this. This is not the real me. This is not what I really want. I really want God and His will in my life. And sometimes I think when we do something bad and we, we make a mistake and we blow it and we listen to the desires of the flesh and we are fooled and we follow that deceitful sort of scheme, sometimes the enemy will say, see, I, you, I knew it, you're a failure, you're always going to be a failure, and he'll try to affirm these sort of negative sort of 
patterns in your life or say that God's never going to be there for you. He's never going to show up for you. You're all on your own in the world. And, and the enemy has this way of sort of weaving these narratives. And sometimes that you just have to say, you know what, I, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by what Christ has done. I'm not defined by my mistakes. I'm defined by his righteousness. And what, what has happened is Christ has taken all of my mistakes in life and he's nailed them to the cross. And he was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered my sin of death. He gave me his righteousness. I walk in his Holy Spirit now. And the Holy Spirit is affirming who I really am. You see, I think we need to learn how to confess. I cannot be who I am or do what I should do without the leadership and counsel of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't do it without a helper and I need help. And every once in a while, we just have to be open to the Holy Spirit's help. You say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And feed the Holy Spirit the Word of God. Live in, in, in Christian community in such a way that you are consistently around people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are giving wise, godly counsel, where you are cultivating the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you look at Galatians 5.16, he says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But how do we do that? How do we... Walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5.24, he says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, we crucify the flesh by receiving the gospel over and over and over again. By keep, by we consistently reminding ourselves about what Christ has done and who we are in light of what He's done. In other words, the gospel is, I can't, He did, because He did, I can. That's the gospel. And so I keep confessing, I can't do this on my own. But Jesus did for me what I could not do. If I could have done it, He wouldn't have had to come for me. But I can't do it. I can't live a perfect life. But He lived the perfect life for me. He did it for me. He paid the penalty for me. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death for me. He's given me His Holy Spirit. But now, powered by His Holy Spirit, I can. I can. See, the works of the flesh are hangovers from your past life. They do not represent who you really are in Christ. And what I find interesting in Galatians 5 is that he, he'll go on to explain uh, a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And I just want to draw attention to that real quick. That and We're not going to go through all the different works of the flesh, and we're not going to go through all of the different fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit of the Spirit. But I want you to see what he does. He contrasts two ideas. He says in verse 19, the works of the flesh. And then he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. He's contrasting here works and fruit. In other words, he's saying the flesh operates in a different way than the Spirit operates. The flesh is about works. The Spirit is about fruit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only He can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as a tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of Him on whom their life depends. You see, in Galatians, works of the flesh is, is, a, is equivalent to um, justification by works. And fruit of the Spirit is equivalent to justification by grace. And, and those are the two kind of contrasting things that he's been dealing with in Galatians. When you go to Galatians 3, this is kind of the big aha sort of verse of all of Galatians. He says, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? In other words, having been saved by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
He says, don't you realize the Holy Spirit saved you and rescued you and gave you faith and you received it and you became a Christian and don't you see how God rescued you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you now think that sanctification is going to come through some other means? It's going to come through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. A supernatural work. See, your true self can only be found through grace. And so he encourages us. He says, I want you to do this work, though, this crucifying of the flesh. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, how do you do that? Well, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, this is how I did it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God, that's how you do it, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see him gospeling himself. See, I'm trusting in Christ in me, the Holy Spirit's work in me to bring about the transformation. John Owens, in his famous work, The Mortification of Sin. By the way, I tried reading this book to my wife on the beach one day. It's all in Old English, and she uh, was not impressed. Um, but, you know, all those years ago, here's this quote. A man may easier see without eyes, speak without a tongue, than truly mortify one sin without the Holy Spirit. I, I think that this statement is so profound. And I just want to say to you, if you've been at work trying harder to bring about transformation of your life, and you haven't been leading into the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a reason why you haven't seen the transformation your heart longs for. Because you cannot do it on your own. A man may easier see without eyes and speak without a tongue than truly mortify, kill one sin without the Spirit. See, to crucify the flesh, we need the Holy Spirit-led repentance and worship. Those two things, Holy Spirit-led repentance and worship. John Stott, in his commentary on Galatians, says we must actually see the execution take place. You might want to just hit, hit a moment. I mean, just hit pause for a moment and just imagine some area of your life you'd like to see transformed. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you over the course of 2019 saying this really needs to change in your life. Maybe there's an area of your life that you know this out, it's out of control, it's out of order, it's not where God would want it to be, and you want to see transformation take place. Repentance is necessary. And God the Holy Spirit has been saying to you, you need to repent. John Stott says, we must actually see the execution take place. In other words, we, we need to put that sin on the cross. We're actually take the, take the flesh, our, our willful and wayward self, and metaphorically speaking, nail it to the cross. This, this is Paul's graphic description of repentance. The first great secret of holiness lies in the degree and decisiveness of our repentance. Is as if, having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to fondle it and caress it, and it to, to long for its release, even try to take it down from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. Real repentance. We need, if you want to crucify the flesh, we need to, the Holy Spirit-led repentance. We need Holy Spirit-led worship. Keller says, this is not just an intellectual exercise. We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring Him until our hearts find Him more beautiful than the object we felt we had to have. As we do that, we will put to death our old flesh nature. 
clearing room for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And we will find the fruit growing, changing us more and more into the people we long to be and God desires us to be. It's about saying to that fleshly desire, I don't really need to have this new house. I don't really need to have this new car. I don't really need to have this whatever, you know, this, 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 this husband or this, this wife or this, you know, whatever, whatever discontent, uh, seed of discontent the enemy has been sowing to your heart and building your identity around it, that achievement, that, that raise, that whatever, whatever, whatever. You fill in all the blanks. You, you know how this works. The, the, the conceited, prideful, self-centered nature, drawing attention to the self, always calling you to work harder when the Holy Spirit saying, do you, do you know what you've already received? Do you know that you are, you are co-heirs with Christ? Do you know that, that God is your Father? Do you know that all your sins have been paid for? You, have no, you, you can re- relax. You have nothing left to prove. There's, there's no more work for you to do to prove your value or worth or significance because Christ has already given you His righteousness. There's, he's already spoken a final word over you. You see, I think if you're open to the Holy Spirit, I believe transformation will happen. If you're open. You see, if you're open to the Holy Spirit, transformation will happen, but it will happen, listen, gradually. Because that's how fruit grows. Gradually. I think we tend, this, this is a leadership axiom, by the way, somebody shared with me years ago. It, and I find it to be true that we tend to overestimate what we can do in the short term and underestimate what we can do in the long term. It's kind of a great leadership axiom. But I think that leadership axiom also applies to our spiritual lives. That we tend to underestimate the power of the Spirit because we don't see the change that we want instantaneously. But if you were to cultivate the Spirit, provide opportunity for the Spirit to grow, the fruit of the Spirit, you would see transformation. It takes time for fruit to grow. And many people will have this experience. Maybe you, could even, you can even have this experience right now. If you look back in your life and you go, you know, when was, when was it that I was saved? How long ago was it that God, that God rescued me? What's changed in my life? What's different in my life from, from that point to now? And, and most of us will look back in our life and, and see that God has been at work growing us and developing us through the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what He does. But it's gradually. And I, I'm so glad I'm not the person I was when God rescued me. He does it gradually. He does it graciously. He does it gradually. He does it graciously. This is what I mean by that. The Spirit will do the work in you as an act of grace. I, I read this... Um, this story, I, I don't know that it's 100% true, but I'm going to present it to you as true because that's what preachers do in sermons. But, uh, but I, heard, I read this story, and, I, and I'm told that, uh, if the, in the story anyway that you can go to the place where this actually happened. Uh, but many years ago in, in England, uh, there was a man that was buried, and he was buried under this marble slab. And under the, it, it's somehow in his pocket or somewhere in uh, the, the burial sort of grave, there was an acorn. And that acorn began to grow in the person's grave. And that acorn grew to, to the point in which it broke the marble slab. And, and I'm told that you can go to the place today where you can see that marble slab broken by the power of that acorn. But if you were just to look at a marble slab side by side with an acorn and say, which, which one has the, more power than the other, you would put the money on the marble slab. But given enough time to grow, that acorn has tremendous power. And has the power to break even that marble slab. And I just want to say to you that God's work is, is gradual and it's gracious. And there may be areas of your life that you think are beyond transformation. But I want to say you give him enough time and you feed the Holy Spirit of God. And you open yourself to God's work in your life and the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That God can break the hardest of grips in your life. 
He, 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 he can break through and change you in ways that you never thought possible to change. So if you're open to the Holy Spirit, He will transform you gradually, graciously, and internally. Uh, kind of a final encouragement here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain uh, from every form of evil. There is a recipe in there for cultivating the work of the Holy Spirit. Allowing the Holy Spirit to have the right kind of soil to produce the right kind of growth in your life. And so just in terms of review, so you know where we've traveled today, you have two desires in you. If you are a Christian today, you have two desires in you. One desire is the desires of the flesh. The other desire is the desire of the Holy Spirit. And it is a battle. It's a battle. But I want to encourage you to walk in the Spirit, to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, to what, you know what the Holy Spirit sounds like. He's always glorifying Jesus. He's always calling you to love the neighbor. He's always, he's always doing that in your life, always, always working in those directions. Crucify the flesh. Find those areas of your life that are, that are holding you back, that the sin that so easily entangles and deal with it with the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not alone. He's a helper. And that way you cultivate the fruit of the Spirit and you provide an opportunity for the Spirit to bring about the growth. This is not a message that just says go and try harder. This is a message saying being open to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring the transformation you need and then taste the fruit. Enjoy the life change. Experience the transformation. That's my encouragement for you today. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for all the little voices in the room and I thank you for all the little uh, the, the, the little lives that you're developing. And if I could tap in just to my own story, my own narrative, just as a prayer uh, for our little ones today, there are so many mistakes that I've made over life because I didn't have you as center in my life. And there were, I, I, you know, you know, Father, we didn't really start a relationship until college, and there was so much that happened before that time, so many mistakes that were made, and... Um, I didn't have, I didn't have the f fruit of the Spirit growing in my life. I, I did not have that as my reality. And I'm so grateful you rescued me and saved me. My prayer is for, for the, the children of New City Church that you would help our children to grow up knowing you. Uh, they would grow up knowing parents that, that worship you and serve you. And that you would, uh, you would save them from unnecessary pain and unnecessary struggle in the world that you would ignite a fire in, inside of our, our kiddos, a passion for you and a passion for others. Um, I thank you for how you've been doing that in my life over these years, how you've been changing me and transforming me. And I, and I, pray, I pray for transformation in our church this year, that you'd allow us to be open to your Holy Spirit in this movement. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray for these things. Amen.